All right, everybody, welcome to this Tuesday edition of the Compliance Guy. And Tuesday means it's hashtag Terry Tuesday with my great friend, Terry Fletcher. Hey, Terry, how are you? I am good. We've got some nice weather out here in California and good weather to work work from. So I'm having a good day. Well, that's always uh, good to hear. Yeah, we're we're in the mid to upper 80s this week. I think we're going to hit 89 degrees here in Georgia, which uh, for me, the uh, the thought of hitting 90 degrees in May just is not a very comfortable feeling. Well, Georgia is sticky. I'm in California by the beach, so I've got the ocean breeze and we're about 82. So we're pretty nice out here. <laughs> I yeah, can't even imagine well, Georgia. Just keep keep on bragging. Keep on bragging. Sorry. All right. <laughs> So before this uh, truck gets too close to the rails, let's go ahead and jump in and talk about what it is that our hashtag Terry uh, Tuesday session is all about. And today we're talking about locum tenens and reciprocal agreements. And we're doing this for a number of reasons. One, there's been some recent changes to Medicare Program Integrity Manual that Terry, you're going to talk about. But right. I think more importantly, like Incident to services, because they actually use the term incident to inside the documents from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services when they're talking about locum tenens or reciprocal agreements. Like incident to services, just about everybody who bills for locum tenens or recipro reciprocal arrangement messes it up somehow. So they do. <laughs> yeah. So. um I was excited when I saw this topic pop up and um, I knew we were going to be talking about this. So, Terry, why don't you go ahead and take the first uh, stab at this thing and let's kind of see where it takes us. Okay. So, as we mentioned before on our, you know, when we do these series of uh, podcasts, usually we get a question from a client or something comes up where it's on our you know, breaking news or something. But for me, it was a question from a client and I was thinking, okay, Sean, we definitely should talk about this. So I got a question from one of my bigger clients and they had a physician leave in January and just out of the blue and decided just not even to do their charts or anything. And it was awful for them. So we had to figure out how to make that work. And I remember actually even coming to you saying, hey, they want to go back and complete some charts that wasn't, weren't charted. And I have this information. What do you have as far as regulation for me so I can see if they can complete them? And thank you for that because you were very helpful in that question. But the, the issue is now is they want to start a locum tenens on on June 1st. And their other question was that they want to use a nurse practitioner that they can pick up at the hospital. So after my head exploded, <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, and no. First of all, let's just back up the train a little bit. So what locum tenens means actually in Latin is to hold the place of. So that's the first thing. Second thing is Medicare. So CMS, they have specific rules and procedures on how locum tenens services can be billed. And what I was surprised to find out is that there's many practices that didn't even know you could bill for a physician that just leaves, you know, like that, or if there is a, a gap, if you will. But the biggest thing that you have to keep in mind is the fact that there are very specific rules. And as Sean alluded to, 
we're going to still call it locum tenens because I think everybody does, but it is now referred to by Medicare as fee for service time compensation. That's too much to say. And I'll never yeah, remember You may want to say acronym. that one more time because I, I think know. people's heads are exploding right now. I know. Fee for service time compensation. It doesn't even have a friendly acronym, FFSPC. Yeah, I'll never remember that. So <laughs> we'll just keep calling it locum tenens and everybody will know what we're talking about. That's right. But um, one of the the better sites for Medicare that I've seen would be Palmetto. And I shared this with Sean and we'll kind of take it from, from this point, but they, they did it in a Q and a, so they did reference the Medicare manual, uh, the website version, the publication 100-04 chapter one, section 30.2.10 and 11. Um, and so we're going to kind of take it from, from that point and answer some questions. All right, so let's let let's jump into really the crux of what locum tenens is, because you started to allude to the fact that you had a group whereby they had a new provider starting, and basically on June first they wanted to utilize locum tenens services because this provider most likely is not going to be credentialed for the new entity to which they're working, right? Correct. They want to borrow basically um, a provider to cover for a physician. The problem is we've got a five month gap here. So my first question was, what have you been doing for five months? Have those patients seen another physician? Have you rerouted them? Because it's a fairly large um, uh, serve, or I should say healthcare system. And so they've got about a hundred physicians. I'm just like, at this point, it doesn't make sense to bring in a locum tenens for this particular scenario of that physician because the patients are already seeing um, other providers. So let me just kind of put it in perspective, just so you know what this is for talking to our listeners and understanding when you can use it. And then we'll get into just some of the billing rules and things. So if a, a physician is absent for a limited period of time, and here's the reasons, vacation, disability, continuing education, a call to military service. Um, so a patient that, or a physician that got uh, sick, okay, or they found out they had cancer, they need to take a couple, some time off, they need some personal time. Um, there's been some physicians that just get this calling to go help with, you know, hospitals without borders, things like that, but they're going to be back. So the, the thing to keep in mind is that it's, it's a physician who's absent that the plan is for them to come back. So this would not be for a retired or a physician who who died or if any physicians that is not returning. Okay, it cannot be used to cover expansion or growth in a practice while you're trying to figure out what to do. This is basically a replacement for a physician who had to leave and be absent for a period of time. The regular physician must be unavailable. The locum tenens physician must be compensated on a per diem or similar fee for time basis. And some of those agencies also require transportation and lodging. And then Medicare beneficiary seeks to receive the services from that regular physician who isn't available. That's a big one. And then that regular physician cannot bill for services of the locum tenens physician for a continuous period longer than 60 calendar days. That's now, the exception to that, there is an exception. 
There's two actually. One is they could return to work for a brief period of time. And then the regular physician must be absent again. I, I talk about the sickness because this has happened in a couple of practices <clears throat> where they go and then they come back. The same locum, tenant, locum tenants physician can be rehired for a new 60-day period, but that's an exception. And But if the physician is absent longer than 60 days without returning to work, this is now a physician you have to decide on the locum tenant side, are you going to credential them or enroll them or... Are, what are you going to do, transfer patients to somebody else in your practice? There's some coding sites out there in different sites that say you can hire a new locum tenens physician at the end of 60 days for the same. You cannot. This is a 60-day no, situation. That's right. Now, there is an exception to the 60 days, but it's only when an individual has been called to active duty yeah. under the armed services. Right. Then, under that exception, you have the right to extend it beyond 60 days. But other than that, it's 60 days. Now, Terry, one of the things that I think is so important is um, <clears throat> you, you use the term that I think people need to really understand, and it's substitute, okay? Yeah, this is a, Exactly. That's right. This is a substitute physician. But the most important thing that I picked up on that I'm, and I'm hoping our, our listeners, and I'm sure they did because you know the, the, you know we have a, a really great audience that you know they they catch these things and 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 most of them are aware of these things the thing to keep in mind is this substitute physician has no practice of their own right and they move from area to area i mean you know you kind of think of them like a gypsy if you will right um because they, they have no permanent residence. So this is not somebody that we're using who's joining our practice and we just didn't get them credentialed. So we want to go ahead and bill them as a locum tenant. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Right. Right. And also um, the question came up, can we use nurse practitioners or PAs? I don't know how many ways, Sean, and I can say this to you. No, <laughs> you yeah. cannot. They are not um, considered a valid option here. And the, we, we have to really be um, specific about this because Medicare has made it very clear that it has to be a physician. It says this arrangement can only exist between physicians, not non-physician practitioners. And they specify, you know, PAs, nurse practitioners, CRNAs, et cetera. Right. Um, there is a, a little exception. I haven't read too far into this because I haven't used it yet. And that's the outpatient yep. physical therapy service. Yep. Um, and there, 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 so yeah, so there are general requirements. Um, <clears throat> if you're, if you're looking at, um, 30.2.11 of the Medicare Program Integrity Manual, they do incorporate the term physical therapist. Yeah, I can see that. Yep. And um, this was part of the um, 21st Century Cures Act. Um, and what I'm looking at specifically is Section 16006 of that act. And what it basically says is that a Medicare enrolled physical therapist may use a substitute physical therapist to furnish outpatient physical therapy services. Now, this is in a health professional shortage area, what they refer to as a HIPSA, or a 
MUA, which is a medically underserved area or rural area under a fee-for-time compensation arrangement. Now, what it doesn't talk about, and, and, and this is one of the things with Medicare, Terry, that kind of drives me nuts, right? Because the question becomes, if they only mention a HIPAA, an MUA, or a rural area, does that mean that providers, physical therapists working in an outpatient uh, uh, therapy center in an urban area are excluded from this provision? They and, are. And, they are. And, I did find that. Yes, they are. Yeah. So, and and I think you said HIPAA and meant HIPSA. So the HIPSA. healthcare the shortage area. HIPSA? Yeah. I thought I said HIPSA. You said HIPAA. <laughs> Come on, did I really? You did. It's okay. It's well, at least I didn't say. At least I didn't say hippo. That's true. Who, That's true. I had somebody who called me and said, "Hey, can you tell me about this law, hippo?" <laughs> and I'm like, "What zoo are you?" Or are you visiting? What, yeah, no, HIPSA what is, the, is the healthcare provider shortage area, or yes, the rural areas. So basically, you don't have one in a 50 mile radius. But what what Sean's alluding to is that, and also with with Medicare, Medicare also always says their rules, and then they'll say providing all other requirements are met. And people are like, well, what are those? You have to go search those out as well. That's right. That's right. Well, you know. A couple of things, Terry, and we could tackle these, right? Because it looks like there's five specific general requirements that are applicable to both the physician and the physical therapist, right? Yeah. So again, it ties back to exactly what you were saying, which is the regular physician or physical therapist is unavailable to provide the services, not departed. They are unavailable due to right. either a sickness, a sabbatical, you know, uh, 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 you know, they're doing physicians without borders or they've been called to active duty. Um, and the, vacation is okay too. If you got a physician that's going on vacation, yeah, they, they yeah. can't talk about, you know, leave of absence for really any reason. But remember, we're billing this under the substitute or under the physician um, who isn't able to be there. So right. it's, it's a replacement for the, they call it the exiting physician. And so in that position, there is an ex, uh, an expectation that they'll return. And if they don't return, then you have to, you know, hopefully use this time to find a physician if that's the intent, um, because it's it's really for a provider that you're expecting that provider to return. Um, you're, you're, I think the thing that's really funny to me, and this, there's something in the CPT book that does this. Medicare puts out some statements sometimes and they say it and you just think, well, and I hate to use this phrase, but duh. I mean, they just, <laughs> they say things and you're just like, well, of course that's what you, you know, we understand what that meant, but it's weird when they, when they say stuff and you're just like, of course we understand that. So they talk about, you know, group practices may bill for a temporary replacement under the exiting NPI for up to 60 days. Um, but they're really clear. They're saying that uh, no, um, it's not appropriate to bill fee-for-service time compensation, again, locum tenens, for longer than 60 days, even if a different substitute physician is providing the service. Well, you already said you couldn't do it, so you didn't have to keep telling us we couldn't do it. We know that. So one thing, again, when they go into saying it cannot be non-physician practitioners, has to be either, again, the physician or in a rural area or HIPSA area, a physical therapist. We're just going to say physician for 
just to make sure we we know what we're talking about here. And how you really report this is that you report any services. And I actually checked this out because when I first fell into locum tenens, probably gosh, 10 years ago, I actually only thought it was for A&M services. It's for all services. I was oh, really it's for surprised. All, it's it's what they call a covered visit service. Yeah. There's, I mean, even procedures and surgeries. Yep. And I was like, really? Wow. Okay. Yep. So Q6 modifier goes on the line item and you'll see that where that can be at the very uh, end of that line item. And then the NPI of, again, the physician that should have been there, the one that's on leave, is what is added to the claim. This is why, so what happened in the scenario I was asked about is the physician decided to go to another practice. Well, if you're gonna try and bill stuff under the physician that left, where do you think that check's going? So you don't, you wanna make sure that you're billing for something where that doctor isn't practicing. Otherwise that that's gonna be, talk about an accounting nightmare. Yeah. And then um, the other thing that can't, comes up, and I see doctors, oh my gosh, I get this question all the time. I don't know if you do, Sean, but this will probably lead you into that reciprocal agreement you were talking about. So a question came up on this. It said, can a physician work one shift a month and, and be considered fee-for-service time compensation? Well, this to me is similar to doctors who get into a group for coverage at the hospital. And like Medicare said, no, it appears the the physician is regularly scheduled for one shift a month. Yeah. Physicians may retain substitute physicians who take over their professional practices when they are absent, you know, for such a reason, they say it under the um, locum tenens. And again, they say not longer for 60 days, but if they're regularly scheduled for one shift a month, that means that they're available. They're just not yeah. on call. <laughs> so, they're, they're, yeah. That, okay. So listen, locums, you can't use locums for call coverage. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's the easiest way to put it. Um, if, if you have a work schedule, so let's say you have an agreement like in our town, right? Where I live in LaGrange, Georgia, small town, but you know, we have like three OBGYN practices and <clears throat> the physicians each have call. You know, if you're part of a call group and you're, you know, tied to the hospital, right? your call is like once a month, you know, that's not a locum tenens situation. You know, having a doctor that comes into the emergency department, but they're only here one day a month, that's not a locum's situation. They have to be in place of a substitute physician. Right. And then also it goes further into billing where I've had some practices say, well, they're now seeing a new provider. And since we're paying that provider, we're going to bill new patient visits. Uh, no, no, no. So the rules say basically they're replacing the doctor who was there. So if that doctor who they're replacing has seen that patient within the last three years, it does, it's not a new patient visit. That's right. So the, the rules for new and established patients still apply to the physician that is filling in or, or is the replacement for that two months for that um, patient. So be careful about really going outside the box with these rules because it can really come back to, to really get you on this because I'm noticing that a lot of practices are doing it, trying to get out of the credentialing process. Yep. Yep. And I, you know, if the physician, if you end up hiring them or you are and pass that 60 days, now you have to fill out the enrollment forms, okay? That's this right. is a legal now situation. And actually brought up a question, and Sean, I'll let you take this one. 
you know, we were talking about this. How many practices have you known that are trying to use the locum tenens rules while waiting for a physician to be credentialed with Medicare or one of their third-party payers? Yeah, absolutely not. Can't Medicare, no. Now, Medicare is the only one that allows you to retro um, back to the date. So once your application has been received and accepted, uh, Medicare will notify you of that. And then you can retro once they're approved your billing back to that date that your application was received and accepted. Um, Medicaid will vary from state to state on how far back they'll allow you to go. But I can tell you, not there's not one commercial payer in this country or in the territories of this country that will allow you to uh, retroactive any of your stuff. There's just no billing for that provider during that no. period of time. But, you know, one of the other things, Terry, that I thought was really interesting, <clears throat> excuse me, about the um, the locum tenens has to do with the global surgical period. And basically what the rule states is that if, if the only services a physician performs in connection with a surgery are those of a post-operative service that are furnished during the period covered by the global fee, those services do not need to be identified on a claim as services furnished by a substitute physician, meaning you don't have to use the Q6 modifier for that. I thought that was rather interesting. Well, this is another one of those duh moments because we don't bill for 99024, which is a, a you know a post-op visit. And so right, but I, I think what they're alluding to, Terry, is the fact that there is a global fee which includes the post-operative portion. And, you know, if it's going to be split, you know, like the 54, 55, and 56 modifiers, they're saying there's no need to report it. It's all inclusive. It doesn't matter. We know who the global rendering provider is for that. I see. Yeah, see, I was reading it as they were basically saying something that didn't make sense where, you know, you didn't have to, you don't have to put it on there because there's no billing for it. Well, no, I, listen, I, I agree with you. That's one of those as you said, duh moments. I mean, look, at the end of the day, the the thing that people need to understand is that, you know, government investigators, auditors will look for a way to create a narrative to fit a potential violation. And we want to, yeah, I mean, we want to mitigate and we want to remove as many possibilities, potentials of risk that we can. So that's why we're going through these painstakingly. Um, I think one of the other things, and Terry, you know, maybe you want to address this unless you want me to, um, is what does the term covered visit service actually mean? So you mean in response to having a local tenants? Yeah. Yeah. So basically anything that the provider that they're covering for can report or bill for. So if they, if that, 
it's that's why they usually try to get the same specialty. So if, you know, if you're an internal medicine physician and they have to try and cover you and actually they have a locumtenens.com website where you can go pick a physician. Some physicians actually do this for a living and they actually make a pretty decent living at it. Um, yeah. But they basically try to get some kind of a general practice provider that can cover that. It's harder when you get into specialties, but not impossible. And going through these type of agencies, we strongly recommend because if you need to credential them or, you know, Sean and I are giving you the Medicare rule. You're going to have some commercial plans that don't follow Medicare on locum tenens and they will insist on credentialing. And these kinds of agencies can do that for you. And That's sometimes right. they want all the forms completed and it's submitted at least 60 days prior to the first working day. And that's tough sometimes. And so that that's where they're they're looking at that. But one of the things I wanted to, to jump to and see your thoughts on this, mm -hmm. everybody's always looking, no matter whenever you bring in something new to the practice, they always feel that it's a cost benefit to make a profit. I wanted to comment on that when it comes to locum tenens. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that your physician's not going to be profitable. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that the reason for the locum tenens, and again, go back to the definition to hold the place of, the reason for it is to so that you have continuity in your patient care, so that your workflows don't stop. And so the Medicare beneficiary who wants to get services from their regular physician and not have to change physicians can actually see a physician that is filling in for them. That's a substitute for them with the anticipation of that physician coming back. So in saying that, because you're going to pay them a per diem salary and possibly travel and lodging expenses, it just depends on the arrangement. It may not be a, and I'm air quoting, a moneymaker. It may be basically goodwill to the practice, um, you know, making sure that you're getting paid for why those patients are being seen if you don't have another physician that can take over in the practice. But to think that this is a way to increase your profit margin when that other physician is gone, that's not what this is for. Would you agree with that? No, I agree with you 100%. I agree with you. Yeah, I'm seeing that quite a bit. I'm like, mm, barking up the wrong tree there. <laughs> so do you want to you want to shift for a minute is there anything else within the locum tenens that you want to hit as a uh, a high point of those services i think that's just about it there was i think there was one question i wanted to bring up but i think okay. that um all most of it is is basically what we talked about you it's not longer than 60 days uh, you have to put a Q6 modifier and the NPI of the physician um, that's out uh, on the claim form on the line item that it's tied to. So you would put the Q6 on that line item and then the NPI of the physician or physical therapist that's on leave. And then after 60 days, the substituting physician or physical therapist has to now bill things under their own NPI number. So you're going to have to get them credentialed. And again, I'm talking Medicare. Find out what your commercial plans are wanting on this because they're all over the place, just like authorizations and telehealth and all of that. Actually, telehealth has been another, I don't want to say nightmare on this, but it's been an interesting caveat, which maybe at another time we'll talk about. But I did want to, I did want to uh, throw it back to you on reciprocal arrangements because one of the things that came up in um, the 
information on the locum tenens is it talked about the reciprocal arrangements. And I thought that was interesting. It actually mentioned it. And where did I see it? It says that you can't bill. Here it is. If a nurse practitioner office leaves temporarily due to an illness, can fee-for-service time compensation, again, locum tenens, take her place, physician, while she is gone? It says no. Services of a non-physician practitioner, and they name them all, may not be billed under under the locum tenens or reciprocal billing reassignment exceptions. This only That's applies right. to physicians. So now I'll throw it back to you. What is a reciprocal billing reassignment? Yeah, I, so I actually don't use those. Yeah, so a reciprocal billing agreement, think of it this way. It is basically, and an, and it could either be in writing or it could be a verbal agreement, okay? There's no specification from the government. They actually say it could be written or verbal agreement. Basically, a reciprocal agreement is where we have physicians that agree to cover for each other while one is away from the office. So. In the event that your practice doesn't want to engage with locum tenens, you can engage with another orthopedist from another group practice to cover your practice while your physician is away for continuing education, for whatever it may be, vacation, they're out for a short leave due to a surgery or an illness. And basically, under a reciprocal agreement, the way it works is that Medicare Part B will pay the patient's regular physician for those services um, that are provided to the regular physician's patients by another physician on an occasional reciprocal basis. So, you know. Once or twice a year, I go away for a vacation and I need to have Dr. Fletcher cover for me. That's what it means by an occasional reciprocal basis. So what, what reciprocal agreements really do, and if you want to get technical about it, now we're talking about Chapter 1 of the Medicare Program Integrity Manual, specifically subsection 30.2.10. And this is payment under reciprocal billing arrangements. And there are some general requirements for this. And as it says, and I'm just going to give it straight from the horse's mouth. Well, it's not their mouth. It's their guidance document, right? So here's a few things. And, and you're going to see a lot of similarities to what Terry was just talking about with locum tenens, with the exception of the continuation, you know, the 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 um, continuation of the sixty days, and I'll I'll share that with you in a moment. So the way here's how it works: the patient's regular physician may submit the claim, and if assignment is accepted, receive the Part B payment for covered visit services, which the regular physician arranges to be provided by a substitute physician on an occasional reciprocal basis, but here are the points. First, the regular physician is unavailable to provide the services. Second, the Medicare patient has arranged or seeks to receive the services from the regular physician. Third, the substitute physician does not provide the services to Medicare patients over a continuous period of longer than 60 days subject to the 
exclusion for those who are called to active duty in the armed services, then you can exceed it. So you'll see the similarities right there with, you know, between reciprocal arrangements and uh, locum tenants. And then the last of these is, is very straightforward. The regular physician um, indicates that the services were provided by a substitute physician. So again, you have to be able to identify the reciprocal billing arrangement under um, the, these guidelines by specifically entering into field 24D of the CMS 1500 form modifier Q5. So the Q6 modifier is used for locum tenens. The Q5 modifier is used to indicate a reciprocal arrangement or services by a substitute physician. Um, now, you can also use reciprocal billing arrangements for physical therapists. But again, under 16006 of the 21st Century Cures Act, a Medicare enrolled physical therapist may use the substitute physical therapist to furnish outpatient physical therapy services in a HIPSA. I got it right this time, Terry. In a HIPSA, the enunciation, HIPSA, an MUA or a rural area under a reciprocal billing arrangement. So what, what is the um, difference? I'm not seeing that. I, I see the nuance. It, it seems like it's almost the same thing. What's the difference between a, you know, a reciprocal physician versus a, locum you don't tenant? have a locum tenens arrangement. So basically here's how it works, right? Here's so they here's, can stay on longer. Is that, is that it? No, 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 no. They're still subject to the 60 day, the 60 day duration period, unless they're called to active duty. Here, here's the difference, right? So I go out of town this week for my spring vacation with my family because I don't want to engage with a locum tenens, right? I don't want to pay somebody or I can't find somebody or I don't trust people, but I, I have an ongoing relationship with you, Terry. And I oh, say, okay. hey, doc, I'm going out of town. Um, would you mind covering for any of my patients that need to see me this week? And, um, you know, I know you have your vacation coming up in two weeks. When you're out of town, I will reciprocate. I will cover for you while you're out of town for that week. And the difference is we get to both bill under our own NPI number and our own tax ID number. So the checks are going to come directly to my entity just as they would if I were the one rendering the service and billing for it. That's so basically, the beauty of a bills, reciprocal agreement. So whoever basically sees the patient is the one who bills for it under their own provider number. Nope, nope, nope. No, nope. still. See, nope. this is why I'm asking. No, and, and and this is this is a this is see this is a great dialogue because I have this dialogue. <laughs> yeah, if I'm not time. getting it, I'm wondering who else isn't getting it. <laughs> okay, so you come into my practice. As a covering physician, forget about the term reciprocal, forget about the term locum. Well, okay? let me back up a minute. So if it's reciprocal, I don't understand why we wouldn't just both bill our own services, because then 
I can bill for when I see that physician's patients if they need it. And that physician can bill for my patients if they need it. So why would I bill for that? Because you've never established, because you've never established the care of that patient into your practice. That's why. (laughs) Well, that, yeah, that's true. So I guess, okay. So it's basically just not having a signed um, locum tenens thing, but everything else is about the same thing. Kind of. You, you, you and I, you and I are both orthopedists, right? In yeah. solo practice. I'm leaving town this week and any of my patients that need to be seen are going to be seen by you, but my staff is going to bill for my patients as if I saw them myself and I'm going to be paid for those services as if I saw the patient myself. When you go out of town two weeks later, I'm going to see all of your patients and your staff is going to bill for all of your patients seen by me as if you had seen the patients. We're going to indicate that you and I are covering for each other under a reciprocal agreement by attaching a Q5 modifier indicating that this is either an agreement between our practices in writing or verbal. The benefit is we don't have to bill for our own services. We keep that flow of claims going out of our practice as if we saw the patients ourselves, but it was our covering physician who saw them. So, so it was basically you just principle. get to, you get to pick your physician instead of pulling them off an agency kind of. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, okay. it's the same thing as having a locum tenens arrangement just without having to have an arrangement with a locum tenant. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it is. Do you write for Medicare or CPT? Because that's the double speak if I've ever heard it. <laughs> that was awesome, um, Sean. <laughs> it's basically yeah, like doing it this way, but not really. <laughs> I, I can neither confirm or disagree with what you have just said. But I will tell you that the term covered visit service is identified the same way under a reciprocal agreement. And let me just repeat what that is, right? Because with respect to physicians, the term covered visit service includes not only those services ordinarily characterized as a covered physician visit, but now listen to this. Here's where it gets really fun. But also any other covered items and services furnished by the substitute physician or by others as incident to the physician services. How do you like that one? We can't Um, escape the word incident to. I really hate that word. And you know how much I hate those two words. I know you do. I I, I just, I don't like them. I know you're going to talk about that at some point too. Yeah. You you know, what's really interesting. They don't hyphenate. They don't hyphenate. I know it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It should be hyphenated. Drives me nuts. All right. Again, we've already talked about the continuous period of covered visit services. We've talked about the fact that a physical therapist can also employ the reciprocal arrangement in a health professional shortage area, a HIPSA, an MUA, medically underserved area, or a rural area. Remember, any area that is not designated as urban in the crosswalk is rural. Right. Rural. Rural. Think of think of the um what is it, the FQHC? So, you know, when you're dealing with some of those um areas where you just don't have physicians as as affluent as you have, you know, everywhere else. So 
But let me let me let me muddy the waters just a little bit further. Okay, you ready? Sure. I'm gonna give you an I'm, gonna, I'm going to give you an example of a reciprocal arrangement. Okay. Because apparently yeah, I double be as clear as mud, I'm sure. Go ahead. Apparently I double spoke. Okay. <laughs> so here we go. The regular physician goes on vacation on June 30th. Now I feel like I'm getting ready to give you a math problem, right? Train A leaves the station at 10 o'clock, heading north. <laughs> Remember those from school? Yes, those are the math word problems. And just so you know, yes. I always got those right. So let's see here. Go ahead. Oh, wow. Okay. I always got them wrong. All right. So here we go. The regular physician goes on vacation on June 30th and returns to work on September 4th. A substitute physician provides services to Medicare Part B patients of the regular physician on July 2nd and at various times thereafter, including August 30th and September 2nd. The continuous period of covered visit services begins on July 2nd and runs through September 2nd, a period of 63 days. Now, you ready for this? Here we go. Since the September 2nd services are furnished after the expiration of 60 days of the period, the regular physician is not entitled to bill and receive direct payment for the services furnished August 31st through September 2nd. Now, here we go. It gets even better. The substitute physician must either bill for the services furnished, furnished on August 31st through September 2nd in his or her own name and billing number, or, ready for this, or they have to reassign payment to the person or group that bills for the services of the substitute physician. The regular physician may, ready? However, bill and receive payment for the services that the substitute physician provides on behalf of the regular physician in the period of July 2nd through August 30th. I mean, holy crap, Terry. What <laughs> it, that has to be that has to be the most egregious explanation I've ever read. And so I would say to the I would say to our listeners, count sixty days. That's what you get. That's right. That's what I, you get. You just you just stole my thunder, man. Yeah. Well, and well, here's no here's one. How about when people say, well, what if there's a holiday like July Fourth? What if there's a doesn't legal matter. holiday in there? It doesn't matter. What about weekends? Is this sixty working days or sixty, 60 business continuous days? days? Sixty days exactly. Yep. So, again, remember, <laughs> if you have a reciprocal arrangement and you hit that 60-day mark beginning on day 61 and going forward, that substitute physician has to bill under his or her name and under their billing number. The, the physician that they're covering for can neither bill nor are they entitled to any of that money beyond 60 days. You know what this reminds me of when my dad passed away in 2013, we, um, I was, I was the person that was in charge of his estate and mm -hmm. his Medicare payments were automatically deposited. Like most people in the country that have Medicare, his social security payments, I should say. And, um, he passed away on the 19th of the month. So they said, because he, what was it? 
that he there was like this a time period that even though it went beyond the first two weeks, you had to go all the way to the 30th. There could only be one day difference. And they took the money back. They actually pulled it oh, out yeah. of his account. And I was like, okay, but you know, what if we're already paying his expenses on that money that you deposited on the second? And you know, he actually lived for at least three quarters of the month. And I'm like, doesn't matter. He, it, yep. he, he, if he died anywhere before, I think it was the 30th, might've been the 29th, but I mean, you only got like a two day difference. Yep. They're like, you we're taking it back. And they, I mean, they did right away. It was like, Oh yeah, they do it. They take that money. It, it, the, the department of treasury will, will, <laughs> they will confiscate that money without even a blink of the eye happens all the time. It's a misperception that people have because you're basically almost a month in arrear with social security on your payments. Yeah. So if, if, yeah, you know, God forbid, you know, a family member passes away in the beginning of, you know, at, in the beginning of a month or the middle of the month, if it's not a day prior to the expiration of that month, they will take back the entire amount yep. of SSI. Or yeah, they, they didn't even give partial. They didn't say you're entitled yeah. to, you know, yeah, they didn't even prorate no. it. You know, it reminds me of kind of like global days as well. See, ever, all this is really tied to Social Security and Medicare yeah. on, because on global days, if you have a global surgery, let's say that um, you had a hernia repair and you came in on the 87th day and we're talking about to, with your physician um, about, uh, let's say, a, a breast mass that you felt, Okay. And so they, but they didn't put the 24 modifier on it with a different diagnosis. And you're still within that 90 day global period. It'll get denied. They're like, no, yeah. no, no, no. It's, it's your, you have 90 days of normal recovery for this. So you have to count. So coming back to what we're talking about when it comes to the um, locum tenens and the reciprocal count your days. Otherwise you could be accounting nightmares uh, in your, you know, in your future. Absolutely. All right, so I think we have thoroughly beat this dead horse into I think the so ground. Too. What do you think? I think so too. Hopefully it gave everybody some insight though. You know, what Sean was talking about with reciprocal arrangements, that's the Q5 modifier on services. What I was talking about um, with the uh, locums tenens, which again, don't forget, it's now called the fee for service time compensation physician. But uh, that's a Q6 modifier on those line items. And those line items extend beyond E&M services. So it's for any services that that substitute physician is providing. Don't forget the 60-day rule, 60 days, do your counting and do not use nurse practitioners or PAs. So that's, then it doesn't, there's no, and I, and I know where that confusion lies. It's because incident two, it's because supervision guidelines, and there's been some exceptions to the rules where Physician extenders, and again, I'm air quoting, are basically thought of as providers, but not not here, not in this scenario. So don't don't make that mistake. I think you hit it out of the park once again, my friend. Yeah, I think this is this was a good topic. Yeah, it, it definitely. Well, I think all of our topics are good. If they weren't, we wouldn't do them, would we? <laughs> I don't know. One of the things I wanted to do in one of our next episodes, and maybe you could get some feedback from the listeners, you know, let, yeah. let Sean know, let me know if you have a chance to find us on LinkedIn or any of our social media platforms, DM us, because there's something that came out recently um, that by the GAO and I'm, I'm just, it's still sticking in my head and I'm hoping to talk about in a future episode where it's, it's telehealth, but they're just talking about how 
Medicaid and, and Centers for Medicare, so CMS, isn't doing certain um, follow-up and due diligence and studies on certain things. And so I'm trying to figure out how physicians can be held accountable if there's nobody making sure that there's, you know, insight into how things work. And I'd really like to tackle that because I think that's going to go down a, a legal hole there. So. Yeah. Interesting. I'd love to talk about from a regulatory compliance perspective. So definitely looking forward to that. Now I want to finish out um, our episode today. For those of you that don't follow me on LinkedIn, shame on you, but that's okay. You'll get there. Um, I don't I, either. I, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Here's what I want to say. Um, <clears throat> a week ago, we were uh, the Compliance Guy podcast. We were notified uh, by an independent organization, which is the largest curator of podcasts and other information on the internet. They're a third-party unbiased source that the compliance guy was out of more than 1,500, I had no idea, Terry, that there were more than 1,500 regulatory compliance podcasts. I had no earthly idea that we were ranked in the top 25 best podcasts of 2022, and we were, the compliance guy, number seven on the list. That's fantastic. That so, is, that's fantastic. I, I I owe it to all of the listeners who tune in, log on, and hang out with me each and every single week. But Terry, I really owe a tremendous amount of this to you because, you know, you've really helped me build this podcast. You know, we've got, you know, we built this awesome segment, which was just kind of like, you know, we were just kind of, you know, joking around a little bit and i was like oh yeah we're gonna do a hashtag terry tuesday baby and you know little did i know that you had already put something together about that you know because yeah, i'm already trademarked so <laughs> i know you are i know you are um but you know my friend i i can't thank you enough for thank you, you know every single week putting together great topics for me to research to collaborate with you on and then for us to tackle um, during a 45 to 50 minute segment each and every single week. Um, Terry and I have known each other, you know, of each other at least for 20 years, if not maybe even longer than that. But the truth is, Terry, you know, I've always been fond of Terry. I've always had a tremendous amount of respect for her knowledge and her work, uh, as I've always heard just great things from people that have attended her workshops or you know, that she's spoken at a conference or she's done work for, but it really wasn't until about a year ago, a little bit more than a year ago, when Terry became a member of the National Society for Certified Healthcare Business Consultants. I think I got it right. NSCHBC. Yep. That I, I first became aware of really just how wicked smart Terry Fletcher is <laughs> and how great of a person she is. And Terry was awarded um, one of the most prestigious awards last uh, this year in January for 2021 uh, by the NSCHBC for her, you know, continued work and, you know, just dedication to healthcare, this industry, to putting out a fantastic message and making sure that people aren't screwing up every single day. And, you know, Terry, 
congratulations on that award. I know I congratulated you back in January, but I want people to hear this. And again, you know, I want you to take, you know, recognition for really helping to, you know, make this show what it is each and every single week. So thank you, my friend. Well, thank you very much. And I appreciate that shout out. Also, we should let people know that in a couple weeks, so Sean and I are going to be, I hate to call it team teaching, but I guess we're going to be team presenting at the NAMIS conference, the virtual conference. Sean goes on the 11th and you're doing the regulatory and fraud information. And I'm doing yeah. the, can you hear me now? Telehealth uh, information and some of the pitfalls there as well. So try to yeah. tune into that. You know, I'm just hanging out with you. There's nothing that I could add to your session that's going to make it any better. Now you never know. You I may the, call you in. <laughs> you, on the other hand, you're you're an active participant in mine. So you know, because there's no telling what's going to come out of this mouth at any given moment. But well, and anyway. also to the listeners, if you get a chance to check out my Codecast podcast, check it out. It dropped also uh, Terror Tuesday today, and it was about website manner on telehealth. So hopefully, you'll enjoy that. Awesome. All right. And to each and every single one of you that's tuning in, logging on and hanging out with Terry and I today, thank you all so much for helping to keep this podcast um, recognized as one of the leaders in the, I don't know, podcast platform universe. So with that said, on behalf of myself, the entire team at The Compliance Guy and Terry Fletcher for this hashtag Terry Tuesday session. Thank you all for hanging out with us. Take care. God bless. And until next time, be good to yourself, but more importantly, be good to each other.